A man arrested in connection with the abduction, rape and murder of a four-year-old girl appeared in the Benoni Magistrates Court this week. Bojabo Paul went missing while playing at a park in the Watville Township near Benoni on Monday last week. This week, authorities confirmed that a body found in the area was hers. The man accused of her murder has another pending case against him involving the rape of a nine-year-old child. I'm Catherine Rice, a multimedia journalist for News24, and you're listening to The Story, where we talk to journalists and experts about the biggest story of the week. This week, we're talking to News24 journalist Ivan Pios, who has been covering the case, and later we'll speak to child rights activist Joan van Ivan, thanks so much for your time. This really is a tragic case and one of many that dominates our headlines far too often. Can you take us through what happened starting on the day she went missing? Yeah, Catherine, it, it is quite a tragic and sad story to tell. And I also think that it, it gets more difficult and it hits home when you have your own children. And I myself have a daughter and um, covering the story has been extremely difficult and hard to tell. But we, I just felt that we had to tell the story of Bohabo. So what happened was on Monday, um, according to the mother, she was playing at the park. It's a street away from, from the family home. So she was playing at the park with a friend, another five, I think a five-year-old boy. And the mother said a man approached them and then he offered to buy them lollipops. But then he also said that no, she must stay behind and then he sent the friend. And that's what they believed um, in that moment. That's when she disappeared. So later it emerged that there was also CCTV footage of them walking past a nearby shop where it captured uh, her last moment. She was basically skipping in the road. And according to, to the mother, she looked comfortable around this man. I um, mean, she couldn't understand why a daughter felt so comfortable around this man because the family didn't know him. Um, so yeah, that's that's what happened on when she disappeared. So then the following day, on, on Monday when she disappeared, then the community launched a massive search for, they searched the entire township and surrounds in Tamboville as well. And then they couldn't find her. And then the next day, the Tuesday, they continued their search, and the, a guy called Fikile, uh, Fikile is the head of the safety of the CPF in that area. He's been very involved in this case. And then he he said they continued the search, and then they went to, while they were busy searching for they were alerted to an elderly woman who was living alone in Tamboville. She said she was sweeping a garden, and then she discovered something that looked like according to the woman that it looked like a glove at first glance but then at closer inspection she she said no but it looked the soil looked fresh and then that's when she ran away this uh, her name is Leah Koza so she Miss Miss Koza then immediately alerted other community members she said she went out screaming in the township and screaming for help from her neighbors. And then eventually she called a young man who was sitting on the corner and then told him to come and see what 
she discovered. And then that's when he immediately said, no, no, let's call the police. Then when the police arrived, they started digging and then they actually dug out a leg. Then Muscoza said she was so scared and, and traumatized by this experience because the mother, the, the parents of, of Pohabo also arrived by then on the scene and they were hysterical and then she said she, she felt so sorry for them. And while they were still busy dealing with that scene, someone alerted, another community alerted them. Um, it was about 800 meters away from Muscoza's house. They alerted them that they, they discovered a mutilated body in an open field. And then police immediately rushed there and, and confirmed that it was um, another body part that, uh, that was discovered. I believe it's it's the torso. And then that was on, on Tuesday and then on Wednesday... The parents said they had to go for DNA testing, um, whether to confirm if the body parts discovered on Tuesday were that of Pohabo. And then on Friday, it was confirmed, uh, no, on Saturday, this past Saturday, the family confirmed to News24 that it, it was a positive link that that was the body parts of Pahabo. Ivan, who is the man allegedly responsible? What do we know about him so far? So we, when we attended the court appearance on first police, uh, released a picture of him um, last week saying that he's, he's a wanted man. He, he's the last, they believe he's the last person that was seen with, with Pahabo. On, on Friday, he was arrested in, in Boxburg North through uh, alert, uh, it was a petrol attendant who alerted a, poli- a police officer at the petrol station and that's how he was arrested on, on the last week Friday. And then on Monday he appeared in court so we, we discovered that his name is Ntokozo Zikali. It also emerged in court that he has a pending rape case of a nine-year-old. Uh, the incident happened last year in August and then he was arrested for that matter in November. And he was also granted bail of 2,000 rand on 9 November. So he was currently out on bail. And when News24 uh, went to the family home in Dal Park, he lives in Dal Park with his stepfather, his, his mother. And I believe, according to the neighbors, he loves uh, the, the two sisters also lives there. And then when News24 went to the home, it was locked. Uh, gates were locked. Windows were closed. Uh, curtains were closed. So we couldn't find his, his relatives. And we believe, according to the local CPF, that they fled the area last week in the early morning hours after receiving several threats from the Watville, Watville community and surrounds. Uh, people went to the home, to the family home, protested in the street and demanding to see him when he was still being wanted. In court, the father of Bukhaba, what happened there? I believe he became uh, very outraged and emotional. Yes, and, um, and actually I stood quite close to him in court. So I actually, I normally, we normally put a lot of color in our writing. So I was watching him carefully. And as they brought uh, Ntokozo into court, he started weeping softly. And then he was surrounded by, by other relatives who consoled him. And it, it was literally a few moments later after we continued with, with uh, the matter continued and the judge uh, informed 
inform the accused that um, should he be convicted of these crimes, he faced a minimum sentence, sentence of life imprisonment. And then shortly after that, the father just got up and lunged over the, the benches and he had to be held back by police officers. He shouted hysterically, you killed my daughter, you killed my daughter, and it just chaos erupted. And then immediately police officers took the accused out of court and then the father and other uh, family members and community members who are who were extremely angry about this and uh, questioned the police, why are you still protecting him? Why are you still protecting him? And a lot of people just shouted, Satan, 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 as he was taken out of court. So it was quite, it was quite uh, chaotic at that moment. Ivan, can you tell us when the case will be back in court? We expect the case to be back on 24th of October and then he's also appearing in November again for the pending rape matter that he has from last year. Thanks so much for your time, Ivan, and thank you for covering this very traumatic case. Uh, Ivan Pios, News24 journalist, who will be keeping you up to date on all of those court appearances. We're now joined by child rights activist Joan van Niekirk. Joan, thanks so much for your time. The brutal murders of children seem to be an ever-increasing occurrence in South Africa. It's obviously a very complex phenomenon, but what do you think are some of the reasons behind it? It's a very, very concerning situation. And I don't think there's any single reason for the child murders we are seeing. I think the situation is complicated and if we look for a single reason, we will miss the boat entirely. We have murders of young children for the purpose of collecting body parts for Muti. I think that that is a very important part of this question. We have murders of children in order to silence them after a rape has occurred. We have murders of children that are sometimes to punish maybe the other parent because the other parent has left. And sometimes it is just uh, an act of sheer violence that has been perpetrated on a child. So a complex situation and every case needs to be investigated on its own kind of, uh, I don't want to say merits because it's certainly not a merit, but every case needs to be investigated individually. Joan, I mean, we do have some very good policies in place, but are they just not being implemented effectively enough? No, I think this is the problem. And I think that uh, the child protection system is overwhelmed. I certainly um, work for an organization once a week in which we are addressing the needs of abused children and we have a waiting list. Uh, the staff, I think, are feeling absolutely ragged at this time of the year, exhausted. And this seems to be generally the case with with most social workers working in the child protection field. It's stressful. There are too many children needing complex services. And then one has to also think of the emotional impact on social workers and other professionals like the police and so on, prosecutors, working in this field day after day after day, listening to children's stories of abuse and harm. In the story that, or in the case that I've just been discussing with Ivan about this four-year-old who was murdered, 
The accused in that matter was facing a charge in another case involving the rape of a nine-year-old girl. Do you think the courts are not firm enough and that offenders are getting bailed too easily? Yes, I think our courts are also um, overwhelmed and I think that offenders are getting bailed far too easily. I think one of the problems is our overcrowded prisons, but that is no excuse when it comes to protecting children. Bail where there has been the rape of a child under the age of 16 should not be considered except where there are exceptional circumstances. Unfortunately, the courts are not thinking about this at the moment. And so we find many offenders out on bail for quite serious crimes, for very serious crimes, um, and coming back into communities and children are totally unprotected. I am not surprised that he was already out on bail for rape or for an alleged rape. We see this day after day after day. People come out on bail. There are no bail conditions that protect the child. We often find children removed from the home instead of the offender removed from the home. Um, and even where there has been removal of the offender from home, which we don't often see, there are still no protective mechanisms put in place to ensure that the child will be kept safe. And sometimes children and parents just give up on a case because it drags on and on again, uh, for so long. In fact, one of our staff was in court for a case that has dragged on for four years and it has now been temporarily withdrawn with the request that the child come back in a year's time. She had been prepared to testify. She wanted to get this over and done with, but without even seeing the child or the child's therapist, the case was withdrawn. So we sit with a system that's ineffective in which we see uh, role players in the court system and in the policing system changing constantly. So every time the child has to see someone that they've never seen before and describe this very intimate act of rape, this very traumatic act of rape over and over and over. It's unacceptable. Joan, in your experience as a child rights activist, you know, you've been working in this field for decades. Have things been getting progressively worse or do you think there is hope and that authorities can get a handle on this really very terrifying phenomenon? Well, I think I would leave the field if I had no hope. But on the other hand, there are days when I actually feel hopeless. And staff sometimes feel, people working in the field sometimes feel hopeless and sometimes people do feel things have got worse. But certainly at the moment we're facing challenges in numbers that we've never had to face before. I think it relates to the increase in violent crime across the country, this kind of ethos, particularly amongst young adults, I must have what I want when I want it. And I think that we're in that kind of ethos at the moment with many young people. I cannot wait to get to the point where I can have what I want because I have earned it. We see this with older people as well. If I feel sexual and only a child is available, I will use that child or I will use that child to punish his mother or his father. 
and we we see quite a lot of revenge killings and uh, rapes of children as well. So we need to change our whole ethos as a society in terms of I want my own rights to be respected, but that will only come when I truly respect the rights of others. And this is what I would like to see promoted more, not just me claiming my rights, but my deep-seated respect for the rights of others, particularly children who are vulnerable and often cannot claim their rights independently. Joan, what do you think some of the practical solutions could be? And, and also, at what age should parents start teaching their children about the risks that they face? Well, I think there must be both long-term and short-term strategies. Every child should be raised with respect. And the parents respecting the identity of the child, the safety of the child, the security of the child, because children learn respect through those early years in which they are respected. That needs to be carried forward in schools as well. Every educator needs to treat every child in their classroom with respect and encourage children to respect them and to respect each other. That's the long-term strategy, because if we can raise our children like that, our next generation hopefully will be more respectful of human and children's rights. The short term, keep your eye on your child. You know, gone are the days where you can send your child off somewhere and know that your child will be safe. Gone are the days when children can go and play in the neighborhood park. You don't know who else is there. Spend time with your child. When your child is out of your sight, make sure they're in the sight of someone who is known and will be able to take responsibility for ensuring the safety of that child. So I'm not saying we must mollycoddle our children. What I am saying is it's a parental responsibility to know where your child is all of the time and to make sure that your child is being kept safe all of the time. Absolutely, and it's it's very sad that we just don't live in a world where you can send your children on their bikes or send them down to the park. We live in a very, very violent society. That was child rights activist Joan Funnykirk. That's all we have time for this week. I'm Catherine Rice. Join us again next week for The Story.